With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. P-S-N-Y. Seventh, a little past eight o'clock at night. As always, with the man, the myth, the legend, Chip Murphy. Chip, what's going on, man? How's your Monday treating you? Uh, like I was saying before we started, man, just still getting used to everything that's going on. Regular Monday, working for the day job, trying to get some work done before the pay period ends. <laughs> just weird doing doing stuff for a job at a school. Talking to uh, talking to the students over a chat room will never be normal. Like it's it's just weird trying to get used to all that, and and I'm getting sick of Netflix shows to watch. I'm I'm running out of shows. I never thought I'd run out of shows to watch. It's just weird. But I was uh, checking out a little Linsanity on MSG today, so that was pretty fun. Yeah, I, I don't I, know if you caught that. That was cool. Yeah. I heard they're uh, they're gonna go the whole week on MSG. Yeah, yeah, the whole week. And um, yeah, there was yeah. like some discrepancy on whether Lynn was getting the respect that he deserved or whatever, despite playing like, what, 29 games for us? But played, uh, it was yeah, a big part. 10 good games. Yeah. Like, but um, get I, his jersey retired for that? I know, I know. But <laughs> they, you know, that's, listen, that's, that's classic Knicks news, uh, especially when the NBA yeah. is in hiatus for sure. Um, but... Uh, very pumped to continue to be doing our A through Z series in the NBA despite the hiatus going on. Uh, last week we wanted to, um, you know, we started off with the Bucks. We've been continuing with our NBA redraft series as well. This week we wanted to hit on the Bulls. Perfect timing because we just had episodes three and four of The Last Dance. There's obviously been major shakeups in the Bulls front office, maybe some major changes regarding uh, staff and personnel on the way. And uh, we are very excited to bring on a very talented writer for Hoops Habit, uh, Chris Jeter. Chris, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going all right, guys. Thank you for having me. Of course, absolutely. And uh, we have a ton of stuff to get to. Um, the Bulls are a very interesting franchise and uh, historic, uh, especially when you consider the Michael Jordan dynasty days. Um, but I want to start with you first. Uh, just just kind of take us through, you know, your Bulls fandom. We were talking a little bit before we got online. Um, you know, you're you're in uh, the Baltimore, Maryland area right now. What really drew you to the Bulls, and also specifically, what drew you to want to write about them? Well, it's interesting. Um, I became a Bulls fan, I guess, right around the time that I started getting into basketball. So, you know, it's just in terms of learning who the teams are and, you know, where they are. 
And of course, being from Baltimore, um, I wanted to follow all Baltimore teams. You know, I got into baseball first, followed the Orioles. Um, you know, I got into football a little later, obviously the Ravens, and of course, college sports with the Terrapins. Um, and I just remember asking, I was probably about maybe six or seven years old, just asking my dad, oh, is there, any, is there a Baltimore team that's here that I could support, that I could cheer for or anything? He said, no, the closest team here to here is the Wizards, who, of course, used to be here in the 70s, and they moved later on. And then I watched a few Wizards games, and I was just like, I, you know, the Orioles are already bad. <laughs> I, just, I don't need to add more bad teams to, to, to this mix. And, of course, around the time, around that time was, I guess, towards the tail end, of, uh, it would have been 97, 98. So that would have been, ironically enough, the year that's been covered in the last dance documentary. Um, that's when I kind of started, got latched on to the Bulls. Um, and I was like, okay, this seems pretty cool. Um, and it, on a kind of superficial level, oh, red's my favorite color. They have the best player. I'm going to cheer for this team. And of course, a few months later, Michael Jordan retired and they broke everything up and then they were bad <laughs> for, for at least a good few years. Yeah. So it's oh, just my luck. So, um, but as far as what drove me to, uh, I've always wanted to write about sports in general. Um, but I guess what drew me to the Bulls, because I've been writing for Hoops Habit for a couple of years now, and I started writing for, I started off because they have different team beats and what have you. Um, I started writing uh, Atlanta Hawks articles, um, and I wrote some Houston Rockets articles and a few other articles here and there. And then an opportunity came up around last year to, I guess, pick your own beats. And I was like, well, you know, I like this team. I cheer, I cheer for them. I follow them about as close as I follow any other team. So it's probably either going to be them or the Wizards because it's just easier to access the Wizards. So I ended up picking the Bulls, and, and I guess the rest of these days is history. That's cool. Uh, that's super cool. And I think that's a good place uh, to transition into The Last Dance. Uh, such a major story in sports right now uh, because there are no live sports being played. Right. Um, so we, we have, we're, we're fresh off episodes three and four. And um, Chip, I want to start with you. Um, obviously, Dennis Rodman such a lightning rod for a lot of different reasons, off the court as much as on the court. Um uh, you know what he did for those those teams there. Uh, there's there's a, a couple of takeaways that I have and and a story that stuck out in my mind that wasn't even necessarily ramen related. But Chip, what did you? What was your biggest takeaway from from episodes three and four? This story wasn't Rodman related, really. I'm serious, yeah. But I think, but when you but when I, you hear it, I think you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that was a pretty good one. Okay, mine had to be when he just went to his coach and was like, I need a vacation. Like, could you imagine, could you imagine a player going to their coach and being like, I need a vacation. I got to go. And like, could you imagine uh, anybody doing that in today's NBA? There's no way they could get away with it with all the social media and everything. They just couldn't do it. And Phil Jackson just being like, just understanding that that's who Dennis Rodman is. And that's if, he let Dennis Rodman do that. He'd get the best version of Dennis Rodman. That's what, I guess, what made Phil Jackson great, right? It was an amazing story. And then hearing how no one ever found out about this whole crazy 48 hours that Dennis Rodman went off for, or I guess longer than 48 hours, because, and then Michael Jordan himself actually went to Dennis Rodman's hotel room 
and Carmen Electra hiding from Michael Jordan as he was knocking at the front door of the Crazy. hotel room. I thought that whole scene is was insane to hear, and the fact that that was never came out. I mean, knowing every every single little thing comes out. I mean, uh, players like have mild disagreements now. It comes out over absolutely nothing. J.R. Smith threw a bowl of soup at an assistant coach, and it came out, right? I mean, yeah. everything comes out now. It's crazy that that was uh, slid under the rug. I mean, the the thing with uh, Scotty Pippen yelling at Jerry Krause on the bus. I mean, could you imagine how quickly that would get out if that came out? I, it's amazing all this stuff that happened, and this team, as we know, still won the finals. All the shit that was going on behind the scenes, this team was – so talented and Phil Jackson was such a good coach that he was able to keep it all together and I, it was just impressive and I that has to be the thing that stuck out the most the Rodman related thing that stuck out the most and then the line of the night was Michael Jordan saying you're not gonna be able to show me anything that won't convince me Isaiah Thomas isn't an asshole I mean as a Knicks fan I can't I can't stand I can't stand Isaiah Thomas, so that was amazing to see. I, I hate Isaiah Thomas, so that was just great to see Michael Jordan say that. Like, yeah. That was great. Yeah, Chris, what about you? What um, what stood out from you for from episodes three and four? Um, well, I guess I'm going to go a little different in terms of episodes three and four. What stood out to me the most, interestingly enough, was uh, uh, when they were going over a transition from Doug Collins to Phil Jackson. I believe in the second episode, they were talking about how Tex Winter tried to implement the triangle and how Doug Collins didn't want to use it. And I just kept thinking to myself, mm-hmm. well, two things think I thought to myself, because apparently this was, I guess this was seen as a, for, a very forward thinking offense back then. And all I could think of was, man, when Phil was the executive of the Knicks and he was trying to get them to run <laughs> <Yeah>. triangle. <laughs> oh man, you just triggered, you just triggered me and Chip. And I, then the second thing. And then after that, and I thought to myself, well, of course Doug Collins didn't want to run this uh, this never-before-seen offense. This is the same dude. I read a quote uh, a couple weeks ago. He was like, I'd rather blow my brains out than use analytics. So it's just like, oh, okay, well, that, that tracks with everything I know about Doug Collins. <laughs> that, he, that he wouldn't use his offense and he would prefer to, like, keep the ball in, in Mike's hands and run isos and what have you. Um, but... Uh, in terms of both episodes, I just, in terms of just the whole series, I just like how they've woven so much of the backstory and used it to inform basically all of the play, important players in terms of this season. Um, obviously, with the Robin episode, they go back to, it was time in Detroit, which is just like, I mean, night and day in terms of <laughs> who Dennis Robin was in Detroit and who he, who he was with Chicago. I found it interesting that they just glossed over that time where he was with the Spurs, which is where the where he started, which is when he was actually started to sort of dye his hair right. and started becoming enigmatic and what have you. Um, but the way that this documentary has sort of uh, used that backstory, of course, then they did the same with Phil Jackson, the time with the Knicks, and all the stuff I brought up before. Um, so just as a general takeaway. I was also blown away by just listening to Dennis Rodman explain how just explain rebounding because Dennis Rodman, I mean, yeah. he's not, he's not like this. I mean, almost Barkley Eskin since that he wasn't this super tall, super lanky guy, but he had just such a knowledge of 
how the ball comes off the rim and how it spins, depending on who's shooting it. When you know, talking about how Larry Bird, his shot has spin, and this other guy's shot has a certain amount of spin, and just it just spoke so much to just how much uh, time he put into studying, you know, the game, how much of a student of the game he was, even though he wasn't. He's often seen as this guy. Oh, he just gets rebounds. He's a defensive guy. It's like, oh, he. A lot of it seems weird to talk about a Hall of Famer in, in a way that just doesn't seem like he's unappreciated underappreciated because you know he is an average maybe like fifteen to twenty points a game. But um, they were just that was, that was just an example of all the little things that he would do um, that would enhance a team outside of just you know attacking on points or whatever. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's such a big point too. You know his his sacrifice, um, and and I and there's there's supplementary players that even in today's NBA, you you get the feeling that if you can motivate them the right way, their energy kind of like really guides the team. Like it like when I heard Phil talk about how he had to motivate Dennis, this is not a same parallel at all. Um, because I don't think you have to motivate this player as much, but you have to get him in the, in the same type of focus. But Draymond Green, Chip and I were talking about him in a, in a previous pod in terms of when you have Draymond's energy at a high, high level, he really is the heart and soul of that, that Warriors team. And so to hear Phil talk about like, like, yeah, we got to give, you know, Dennis a break because we need him at a hundred percent, you know, we need his energy. We need his um, we need his motor, you know, because right. he, he's got to be the one doing the dirty work. He's got to be the right. one doing everything that Michael and Scotty can't do. Right. And to that point, um, going back to the story about Michael Jordan going to get him uh, from Vegas after he overstayed his 48 hour uh, thing, they recounted a story, I think in practice where they ran this drill because they thought Robin wasn't in shape. Right. And they're like, okay, we're going to run this drill and we're just going to like take it slowly and Dennis Robin was just lapping them, basically, and was just like, okay. But then, and Mike was just like, all right, well, Dennis just needed to be in the, I mean, Dennis, whatever he had to do in Vegas to get in the right headspace, he, he got it. I guess he, he did. Was, he was always there. Yeah. I guess was the takeaway. He was always sort of there. He wasn't just like totally spaced out. That's true. That's definitely true. Um, I think another thing that stood out for me, is um, is the idea that no matter how big of a star you are, you're always reading whether it's the positive or the negative stuff that's said about your team. Like that scene where Jordan approaches the beat writers, and I forget whether it's the Cavaliers or the Pistons series, and he's like, "Okay, we already took care of you." Um, in terms of their yeah. the uh, what's it called the um, when they were guessing, you know, how long the series would be. He was like, we took care of you, we took care of you, and he said, we're going to take care of you tonight. And I think he was pointing to Sam yeah. Smith, who was the Bulls beat writer. Like, that that was such a cool scene to me, man, because it's like Michael Jordan doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. And I know at that point in time, he wasn't the full extent of what Michael Jordan is today. But he still, at that point, you know, was probably the best, if not a top two, three player in the game. But he's still coming at these beat writers like, you slighted me, and I, I didn't forget it, you know. And I think that's such like a core part of who, you know, Michael Jordan is. Um, the last thing that stood out to me too was the emotion. Like, we've all seen it. We've all seen that classic photo of Jordan hugging the, the, the Larry O'Brien trophy, um, 
you know, his dad in the locker room, things like that with the jacket. But um, to hear the other players talk about, like, I never saw emotion from Mike, from Michael that wasn't anger, um, you know, that wasn't frustration. And to think about, like, what that actually does to a person who is really, like, that wound up like that. And, like, I don't want to spin it in a negative way, but it's it's got to be difficult to be like that. Like, it's got to be difficult to live with somebody like that. It's got to be difficult to carry that that stress and that like strive for perfection. So when you see him win finally and it all comes out and to see the other players like, whoa, you know, like we kind of stood back. Like we were like, wow, like he, you know, has this other side of him too. Like I thought that was really big as well. Yeah. I mean, you have to imagine that. Well, I mean, I, by that point, 91, he'd been in the league, what, 70 years by that point. So, and you, and just having the weight of being the best player on the team and carrying the weight of, uh, getting a lot of the, you know, he's good. I mean, he's good. He's a good scorer and all this stuff, but he's not good enough to lead the team to a title and stuff. And to finally break, not only break through and win a title, but obviously before that, breaking through and beating this nemesis that had bested you time and time and time again in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I mean, it, I couldn't, I just can't imagine um, just the relief that you would have just finally breaking through and finally getting that first title. Yeah, it was it was definitely iconic for sure. Um, Chip, anything else from from last night's episodes? Yeah. I was just gonna say we always think of Michael Jordan as nothing but a winner, so it was just it was just interesting to see like him overcoming another team. Like we always just think of him as never having to overcome anything because he was always on top. You know, because always the people who were always defending him are always like, oh, six for six. You know, he's better than LeBron because. He never lost in the finals, so we always think of him as like invincible. You know, he never lost in the finals, so he must have never lost. But you know, he it took a lot for him to beat the Pistons, and it was. I thought they did a great job to show how important it was for him to have to overcome the huge obstacle that was the Detroit Pistons and how they beat the shit out of him. Now he dedicated so much to uh, changing his body and his game just to beat the Pistons. I thought that was that was one of the most interesting parts so far was how he adjusted his game for one team. It was really it was really interesting because we think of especially people who weren't like alive back then, people we think of Michael Jordan as invincible and that he never had to struggle at all and he, I mean he did struggle with the Detroit Pistons. So I thought it was really cool that they documented that very well. Definitely. Um, and Loki, how, what about, uh, Jerry Krause's dance? Uh, when they, when they, <laughs> I thought, I thought that was pretty legendary. Uh, a little scary as well, but, uh, it was, it was nice to see, I guess, a lighter side of, of the villain from, from parts one and two. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Um, but that is probably a good place for us to transition to the current bulls. And there is so much to talk about. And once again, very happy to have Chris to help us out with navigating uh, the changes that are going on and kind of maybe what their future looks like. So as we stand right now, um, we have a new president of basketball operations. Uh, definitely, excuse me if I mispronounce the name, but we have Arturos uh, Karnasovas from the Denver Nuggets. And just as recently, I think it was today, uh, Karnasovas makes his first hire, and it's Mark Eversley from the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, so, Chris, take us through 
um, you know, your initial take, your reaction uh, to the Bulls, you know, getting rid of uh, of uh, Gar Foreman and and Paxson and bringing in uh, kind of new blood here. And what is your overall feeling? I know it's early, uh, but what's your feeling on them? Well, uh, I guess quick point of order. Uh, Gar Foreman is gone. He's going. I mean, they've allowed. They're going to allow him to. I guess uh, scout to take scouting positions for other teams. Uh, Paxson, I believe, is still going to stay on as an advisor. Oh, okay. Um, but he's but he's not going to um, but he's not going to be in charge of basketball operations. Um, all I can say about uh, the changes, uh, when I first heard the news, I early just early skepticism in terms of you know I mean I've Garpax has been here for a while, and outside of um, really the last few seasons, really since the um, Jimmy Butler trade, they're sort of. Uh, Stock has really taken him, or even before that, with the with the way that they, uh, with the ouster, with the way they kind of forced Tom Thibodeau out to get Fred Hoiberg in because they really liked him, and then of course they got rid of him just to get uh, uh, off a a coach cosplaying, doing a poor cosplay of Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, Tim Boylan. Yeah, um, but in terms of uh, the move, I would say that. It was the right. It was it was time for a change. Like I mean, this. I mean, they have been, uh, they have been going through with this. Um, well, after Thibodeau left, they went through the whole. Well, we're not rebuilding. We're retooling, and they were making a whole bunch of questionable roster decisions around Hoiberg that didn't really fit the way he played. Um, particularly like the year that they brought in Wade and they brought in Rondo with Jimmy Butler. I'm like, well, don't they all need the ball? I don't understand what's going on here. Um, and then after that, of course, the Butler trade and the way they kind of sold that. So it was time for, it was time really, it was, I mean, a change was definitely needed. And of course there's just this, his, there's just this history of sort of cronyism within the organization just in right. terms of hiring people that they're just comfortable with and that they like, um, which as you, I mean, not to go back to the documentary, but we even saw that in the first episode, they were talking about. Oh, we're gonna bring in Tim Floyd from Iowa State. Like, all right, the <laughs> Iowa State stuff is runs deeper than I. Run. I guess it does. I didn't even. I didn't even pick up on that. That's a good point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was like from the first episode. They were grooming Tim Floyd, and he comes in, and so with the Bulls, there's sort of this long history of we're going to kind of coast on the success that we kind of built in the '90s, and. We're not really going to do anything. I mean, we're just going to continue to run it as sort of this mom and pop organization. We're not going to spend any money. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to do anything to really um, move the team forward in the future. And I think now with uh, Jerry Ryan's sort of son sort of taking over and sort of preaching the sort of we're going to, you know, dedicate more, we're going to allocate more uh, resources to running the front office the way other NBA franchises run the front office because the last few years it's been historically kind of small. Um, as I know, like, they've had a few people in as an advisor. I think Scotty Pippen was there as an advisor, and he, I believe he left not too long ago. Um, and obviously Doug Collins was there. I believe he's still there, but I don't know if he's going to be moved out as far as the, re- as far as the regime changes go. Um, but it was a move that I think was long overdue for a lot of fans. I mean, 
right after the Butler trade, they were people donating money to put up a, a billboard calling for Garpex to be fired. So I mean, <laughs> so it's so this is something that Audible's fans have been waiting for for a while. I think in some ways there was still some cautious skepticism because they weren't going to be convinced until both of them were just gone, gone. Right. No part of the organization. But I think bringing in Karnaschovas from Denver, um, a franchise that has a good track record of player development, which is something that this team needs. And I guess we'll get into that with the roster later on. Uh, It's a, it's a, it's a positive first step. It's a, it's a, it's a step in the right direction. I think uh, that that literally that perfect perfect segue to the next question, and I want to get Chip in here uh, right after too. But so with the new management, um, I know that that I think most um, Bulls fans that are maybe a little bit more analytically inclined and and want to see more of a, a pace and space, probably not huge fans of Jim Boylan. Maybe there are some people that are. I've heard very mixed reviews of him with the new management coming in. And um, certainly the relationship between Boylan and Laurie Markkinen being, uh, you know, a, a bit on ice. What is his future? Is he most likely gone? Um, what, do, what do you think is going to happen there? Chris. Oh, oh I'm sorry. No, nah, I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. Um, it's tricky because I remember reading something in the Sun-Times, with Chicago Sun-Times a couple of weeks ago, that... Just basically with the situation is the way it is with the uncertainty caused by the pandemic. They may not make a coaching move right away, and they may let him coach out the rest of the season if there is next season. And they may not be as like uh, as uh, they may not be as uh, hasty in terms of just wanting to replace somebody and just let one of the assistants uh, finish out the rest of the season and evaluate there. Um, I would imagine. If because Karnasovis in his introductory uh, press conference spoke about wanting to sort of build something in Chicago similar to what they have in Denver, where there's a lot of passing, there's a lot of ball movement, um, just really praising that sort of um, that sort of um, that sort of style of basketball, and everything that I've seen from Jim Bullen, from an offense led by Jim Bullen, if he is scheming it up is the opposite of that. Just a lot of empty sets, a lot of empty screens that don't do anything, and I don't know how much of it is the scheme and how much of it is the players that are running the schemes, but a lot of it would just boil down to we'll kind of just make some stuff happen, and then if the shot clock gets too low, we'll let Zach Levine figure it out. And that was basically the gist of how the Bulls' offense looked off, and it was reflected in – just where they were rated. I believe they were at the bottom third of the league. I, I, I think, not that I believe that's where they were. They were rated at the bottom third of the league in uh, offensive rating. So, and the defense wasn't too bad. It got worse when Chris Dunn got injured. But um, if, but if there is a, a dedication to sort of moving the Bulls in a different direction, that direction has to include looking for a new coach. I would imagine. Where they would look, I don't. I'm not entirely sure, but I mean, the thing about Jim Boylan, other than uh, when he first got the interim job and he benched all the players in a blowout so he can run them extra hard and practice the next day to the point where they um, 
where the players had like a players only meet and they were thinking about going to the players association to talk about these practices. Yeah, didn't they create like a leadership board or something like that yeah, afterwards? Yeah, I heard about that. Something that I remember. <laughs> There's so um, many parallels between the Knicks and the Bulls. So they so they went from that to to Zach Levine paying Bulls at some point last year after he got fined and Levine paid his fine. And then that relationship kind of deteriorating at some point this year. Um, I mean, it's a mess. Like I, I've, I've find it hard pressed to find anyone who has said anything good about the job Jim Boylan has done. He just kind of, he kind of strikes me as uh, someone who picked up their coaching style from like a high school basketball movie. Like he watched Hoosiers or something, and he was just like, "This is what I'm going to do," and he just has no sort of plan of what to do next yeah he seems very old school oriented for sure um i think the offense is very important to focus on because there are there's some there's talent there there's no question right like there's talent there but it's just a a question of whether it fits and i know chip had a question uh specifically kind of around the offense how it's going to involve and how they're they're going to incorporate um more three-point shooting it did yeah because the shot profile is really good this year. They take a lot of shots at the rim, and that's, I think, mostly because Kobe White and Zach Levine take a lot of shots at the rim, Levine especially. And uh, they could take more threes, but they're very low. I think they're 28th in mid-range attempts. But uh, the problem is they're, like, 29th in rim percent uh, rim accuracy. Um, I was wondering uh, what your opinion on uh, what they need to do to uh, become better uh, in terms of three-point shooting, because they're 14th in three-point percentage right now. Do you think that they need to make roster changes, or do you think that the, with uh, the young players they have now, do you think they can develop, or do you think that the new GM needs to move some pieces around? Well, they have some guys on the roster that can shoot. Um, obviously, Levine can shoot. Um, White at least looks like a good three-point shooter. Like there's no, there's no num- the numbers certainly don't indicate that he shoots well. And just as mm-hmm. so far as your point about uh, him getting to the rim, he gets to the rim sometimes, but he doesn't really get to the line a lot. So he's not particularly aggressive. Yeah. He settles for a lot of pull-ups and stuff. Um, but then in Olive Porter, in the, the handful of games he played, he shot like 38% uh, from three. Um, and he's probably going to be on the team next year because he has a player option for $28 million. Yeah. And I would imagine he'll be picking that up <laughs> uh, this offseason. Um, so I think it's just a matter of making some of the pieces fit. The main issue that I think the Bulls have, they don't really have uh, sort of a playmaker that can collapse defense and unlock a lot of the shooting. Um, because, I mean, Levine is their leading scorer, but... Um, I actually wrote an article about him a couple of months ago for uh, for Hoops Habit, where basically I just looked at, you know, how, how well he was playing and all this stuff. And there are things that he does well. Um, like he gets to the basket, he gets to the free throw line, uh, he shoots threes really well, but he's not really much of a playmaker. And it's like some combination of, like he, sometimes he won't make the right read, and then sometimes he'll make the right read, but he won't make the correct pass. And I just don't have enough of a profile on Kobe White to kind of get 
a good impression as to how good he is in terms of, excuse me, making his teammates better. But that's the main thing I think the Bulls need uh, going forward to sort of unlock a lot. Because I think that would fix a lot of these things. Um, just giving some of these guys space to shoot because they do have some guys like Levine and, and Porter when he's healthy. I believe Shaq Harrison was one of the guys. Not Shaq Harrison. Um, they had a couple of other guys that shot through people. Obviously, if Markkinen's healthy, he is another guy that kind of seems like he should be a good three-point shooter in theory, but he's usually around uh, – he was around league average this year. Um, so I – but the Bulls – the thing with the Bulls roster, it's very, it's very interesting in the sense that they have a lot of talent. There's talent – there's obvious talent there. But it's not talent that you look at and you go, okay, this. there's no identifiable person that you can go and you can look and you can say, this is the guy that's going to be the best player on a championship team. But at the same time, they're not not—they're young enough that you can't just completely give up on them. So they're kind of stuck in this sort of, um, this sort of middle ground where they can't really just blow everything up, but they can't – but they're not really in a position where they – they're going to get immediately better. And I don't know. I mean, they may have to, you know, look into the draft, try and find some playmakers if there are any, um, but it depends on where they fall and with this new draft lottery and they would have to figure out, because I don't know how much, I don't know what the cap is going to, I obviously don't know what the cap is going to look like uh, this year with the, with the pandemic and kind of eating into the revenue, which will affect that. Um, so I don't know if the the most obvious fix to me for them is just getting someone who can pressure the defense and can take advantage of pressuring that defense to get it out to the shooters that they have. I think um, I think you bring up a good point too about um, the the Bulls roster being in flux. You know, having some good young guys, but they they're not necessarily being able to identify and highlight a, a, a star that is going to be the guy to take them where they need to go you know, in terms of the next step. Um, and that was actually one of the questions I had for you. So with a fair amount of the young guys that they have on their roster, Laurie Markin and Wendell Carter, Kobe White, Daniel Gafford, um, Shaq Harrison, Chandler Hudson, Hutchinson, who I know uh, was a very, you know, interesting shooter coming out of the draft, a guy who could shoot on the move, but he's been injured a lot. Um, I really, I, it's funny, Daniel Gafford, played actually some really good basketball for them. I hated him coming out of college. I actually watched him a good amount in college and thought he had no idea what he was doing on the floor. Turns out when he comes to the league, you know, he becomes a really good rim runner. Um, out of the guys that I just mentioned, and I do also want you to kind of touch on where you see like Laurie Markinen's future, um, who's worth investing in? Like who is worth kind of pushing forth and saying, okay, this is the three or four guys. We don't know if they're the core, but these are the guys that we think are going to be the best. Um, and and they may make it to their next contract here in a Bulls uniform. And who is maybe somebody that we maybe need to start looking at, including in trade talks or something like that? Well, Markin, I think, is the interesting one because his contract is coming up very soon. He's set for a restricted free agency very soon and – Again, he's sort of this intriguing prospect that it seems like he should – I don't think Markin kind of falls into that Levine sort of category where he's 
where I don't really see him as someone who's going to be the main piece on like a contending team, but I can see him possibly working, you know, maybe some pick and pops. Cause again, he has that, he has a beautiful shooting stroke, but it just doesn't, it just hasn't translated, I think, to six, to three point success the way that I think a lot of people thought it would. Right. And he did a lot of other things pretty well. Like he handles the ball off the, like he can put the ball on the floor well enough, I think, to take advantage of switches and what have you. Um, he's good enough in the post where he can kind of uh, take advantage there if someone switches a smaller, big on a smaller uh, player on him. Um, and if you, trap I mean, if you trap like the the ball handler on a pick and roll then he's open for a three but a lot of i think his struggles has just been just staying on the floor like there was he was pretty inconsistent this year and once he started finding his groove then he gets hurt again and he misses time um i think of the guys you mentioned you mentioned marketing you mentioned hutchinson uh gafford shaq harrison uh, Wendell Harrison. Wendell Carter too. I mean, that's a big one. Yeah, Carter is the interesting one. Um, is another interesting one in the sense that I read something. I think I read a Zach Lowe piece like a week ago, where it's where he basically said that the Bulls had envisioned him as sort of this Al Horford type. And when I read it, I was like, really, Al Horford? Like Al Horford? I mean, it's a pretty high bar in terms of being a, a center who can kind of do everything. Um, and Cordy can, you know, can handle the ball and he can kind of make good passes in certain situations. He can shoot and this, and he can obviously defend. He has long arms and what have you. Um, of those, well, they're going to have to stick with Carter because he's on the, he's on the rookie scale contract. So he's going to be there for a few seasons um, with the rookie wage scale. And those other guys don't seem particularly expensive to keep around. Um but the biggest question mark, I think, of all of them is easily marketing. Yeah. Because they, because they're gonna have to, because someone's gonna. Uh, when is his contract up? I think, I think he. Let me look. I, I think I. I think I wrote written down that he. Um, let me see. No, he doesn't have a. Because I, I had written down that they have player options or club options for Hutchinson, Carter, and Kobe White. Um, that they have to decide for next October. Um, but you know, yeah, I think the next year, right? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, marketing's contract is up. Yeah. 2021. Um, yeah. Is after next year. So after next season, they're going to have to, uh, make a decision on him. And, and some team is going to, is going to, you know, fish and give them, uh, a big offer sheet kind of similar to what happened with Levine when the Kings gave him that offer sheet and he was just kind of like, oh, I guess the Bulls don't want me. And then they kind of got quasi-shamed into giving him the – into matching the offer sheet. Right. Um, but I think for, with him, it, he's the biggest sort of decision that I think that this new regime has to, has to make. And I think next season, provided that he's healthy all year long, is the chance for the – for this team to kind of see what they have in him and from there to determine whether they want to move him or they want to keep him or whatever the case may be. I think, yeah, I, I think um, that's, that is probably where the new front office makes their money, right? Like deciding what's going to happen with marketing, maybe, you know, extending olive branches and repairing that relationship. Um, you know, I think that, that, that's a big part of it. 
Um, it, it's going to be interesting. I like Shaq Harrison too, man. I mean, like, you know, he's a, he's a decent defender, I think. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see, like, you know, there, there, like I was saying before, there's a lot of parallels with the Knicks. There's, there's a, there's a decent crop of young players. The best ones, you're not really sure about what their ceiling is going to look like. You also have the, I guess the, the biggest difference is just the salary cap situation. Like there's not many, um, albatross contracts, you know, that the, yeah, that the, the Knicks, Knicks better, you know, they're, they're set up a little bit there. Um, but you know, the, the, it's, it'll, it'll be very interesting. I think to see what, what kind of route they take. Um, Chip, what about you in terms of, um, any other bull stuff that you have for Chris? Just real quick. Who would you rather have Julius Randall or Zach Levine? Oh my god! <laughs> you, you got you got to see the disgust on Chris's face right now, oh man. He's like you. He's like you making me choose. Oh man! This is, is I take none of the above. Neither. I guess if I have to pick, uh, I guess if I have to, man, man. I'll I'm I I'm guess, gonna I'll I'll be Levine, honest. I guess Levine a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'm gonna go Levine. I'm gonna go Levine. Yeah, I think I take. But I've watched Julius Randall all year long and. He just makes you want to punch it. So, if, trust me, Chris. If you had a year of Julius Randle, you'd be begging for Zach Levine back. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You made the right choice. So, but I was looking before we uh, uh, this morning. I was looking, and uh, I didn't realize the Bulls are last in the league in uh, defensive rebounding. And I just like I'm glad you brought Zach Lowe up because he. I remember in his preseason article. He was talking about how he thought they were going to make the playoffs with the Bulls. I think and I thought like, and I was, yeah, I was looking at their roster when he said that, and I was like, I don't think that's a crazy thing. I mean, I think Zach Levine's really good. I think Markkinen's really good. I thought Sadoransky was a great addition. I did too. Young, I, I, really good I, I thought they were going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I thought they were going to make the playoffs. Like, so I guess my question is, like, what do you think went wrong for them? Most of all, like it. Is it really all? Is Jim Boylan really that bad of a coach? Like, he can't be. He can't be that bad, is he? Like maybe he is. I, you would know more. What What do you think went wrong? Well, whenever I think to myself, oh, Jim Boylan's not that bad of a coach. I always think back to that Dallas game not too long ago where they had an open layup and he called a timeout just to kind of show that he was quote unquote coaching or whatever the case may be. To the point where <laughs> that's even crazy. Josh was caught on camera, kind of like chuckling. That's like, oh crazy. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, man, I, I wish I could just tell you, oh, he's not that bad of a coach, but I just, I remember hearing a lot of the, oh, the Bulls have a nice little roster, they can make the playoffs, and it's like thinking to myself, yeah, but Jim Boylan's the coach. He's going to find some way to just, like, he's going to find some way to sort of muck this up or just, like, not maximize what he has. And I think that's the thing. And I think that's the key with teams like the Bulls or teams like, I guess this would be the difference between this team and a team like, say, the Orlando Magic, who I don't think has as much talent. But they're, they were, as uh, when the season stopped, they were in the eighth. Because they have a good coach in Steve Clifford who basically did what he did in Charlotte. Yeah, we're going to play defense and we're not going to turn the ball over. And sometimes that can make a difference if you have a coach who can, and not that Clifford is known as this great offensive mind. I mean, I, I mean, I was, they're probably about a billion things I'd rather watch in a magic game. Um, 
No, he's a defensive coach for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. He's not yeah. like known as this offense whiz or anything, but he gets effort out of his yeah. guys, and he just doesn't. And he doesn't strike me as the sort of guy that's just made up of a bunch of platitudes that he just kind of blurts out and post game pressers to kind of sound like he, he's coaching or whatever the case may be. But some, but with teams like this, with teams like the Bulls, who have talent and it's obvious, but it's not like it's not idiot proof talent. Like, it's not, like, the sort of talent where you can just go, just roll the ball out there, and it doesn't matter how good or bad you are, the talent will overcome it. This team isn't good enough to sort of overcome lackluster coaching, and that was made evident. And to be fair, I mean, as, I mean, they played good defense for most of the year. Again, they were, like, top 10 in defensive rating for a while before Dunn got injured, Um, and they were like within striking distance of a playoff spot until they lost a few games down the stretch. Um, but I think that for me, I just never just really bought into this idea that this team was going to be like, I mean, maybe because the East was so weak, but again, they were just, I mean, I just kind of looked at it like, okay, they just don't have the coach that's going to get the most out of what they have. And they just don't have the sort of guys that, um, that you can just toss out there and you can just expect good things to happen. You kind of have to put the players in certain positions on offense and defense. And to give them credit, they play, they generally play good defense and they tend to mask. Um, like they play Kobe White off ball a lot and they play Zach Levine sort of kind of off ball. They don't usually guard like primary offensive players a whole lot. So they try to hide them a little bit defensively uh, because those are their two weakest uh, players on the floor in terms of defense. Um, but just in general, um, I think it's a lot of it just kind of comes back to sort of the roster just being constructed and just having this weird mismatch of pieces and just not having the coach that knows how to effectively use them in certain situations. Would you like to see, um, me and Chip talk about this all the time in terms of, um, whether the Knicks you know, choose to move on from Mike Miller, who would be someone that would be considered? Would you like to see the Bulls consider a guy like Kenny Atkinson, who does have a, you know, at least perceived good record of player development? There's obviously a lot of young guys in the Bulls. Is that somebody who you would like them to target? I think Atkinson would be a, a great hire, considering with this, with this roster that they have. It's, I mean... Atkinson's time with the Nets is obviously known. He's known as the player development guy, the guy that kind of got a Nets team that, again, that Nets team, they won like 40-something games. They weren't really that great. I think they they had like a negative average point differential. They weren't particularly blow, they weren't just a blow-away team by any stretch of the imagination. But, I mean, they knew how to use the pieces that they had um, to sort of – to sort of get to score a squeeze out the wins that they did. Um, and just, I think the, the player that obviously gets the most highlighted is D'Angelo Russell and the turnaround that he had right. with them um, becoming a, a borderline all-star. I'm not like super duper high on um, D'Angelo Russell as much as maybe some other people are. I think, you know, he's, he's not a, a, a great, but I mean, he, I guess you could argue that in a lot of ways he reminds me of Levine in the sense that he's not a great defender, but there's obvious 
talent there in terms of being able to score and get your own shot. He's not really known as a, I think he's a better playmaker than Levine is, but he's not really known as like, he's not Chris Paul or anything like that nature or anything of that, right. uh, of that caliber. But, you know, getting a coach who can sort of evaluate what you have and know how to, and figure out how to use them in certain situations, use players in certain situations, I think would be the right move. And I think getting someone of that ilk, maybe not Atkinson, but someone who um, is known sort of as someone who can develop young players and someone who can uh, shepherd some of these younger guys along so that you can see what you have. And if, and even if you do see what you have, somehow turn it into something that flip it and turn it into some assets down the road as well. Isn't it? Isn't it crazy too? I feel like um, a lot of hires in the NBA are very reactionary sometimes in terms of like, um, as opposed to, you know, kind of like looking forward. Like I like just to, I know we keep bringing up the Knicks a lot, but I I think of um, like the hires when they went from the Phil Jackson and like Jeff Hornacek era to okay now it's Mills and Perry and Fisdale like the big issue that you kept hearing from the Knicks beat writers were oh yeah Phil and Jeff Hornacek they couldn't develop relationships with players you know they couldn't you know they couldn't foster relationships so then you bring in Perry who's got a great reputation for developing relationships with players free agents as well and then you bring in Fizz who is you know uh somewhat of a hot shot has a history with the Miami Heat, LeBron, you know, it's a sexy pick. Um, and that obviously didn't work out. And I, I think what I would fear would happen with the Bulls is that they move on from Boylan. They didn't like his old school tactics. They didn't like the clock in idea, you know, that whole thing that came oh, out. Yeah, the timer. I thought, yo, I read that story and I was like, wow. Um, so, you know, they didn't like his old school ideas but there may be certain things about Boylan that were beneficial so I think sometimes you know front offices and maybe ownership can can in for lack of a better phrase like throw the baby out with the bathwater when there's not necessarily like everything wasn't necessarily bad um but you want a coach that's well-rounded you know Atkinson has a great reputation so I think that would be a pretty good hire chip um, what about you in terms of what either other Bulls things that you want to touch on or what you think might be good for them going forward? No, I think Atkinson would be great for them too. I also hope the Knicks hire him, but I'm not yeah. delusional. I know they're going with Tibbs. I'm yeah. not an idiot. I know it's going to be Tibbs. <laughs> Everybody oh, knows it's going to be Tibbs. Get ready, get ready to, great to see your yeah. starters out there for like 48 minutes a night. Hey, yeah. maybe we'll see. Hopefully he's learned. Hopefully he's learned. You know, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, guys typically evolve their coaching style. Like, like, he, seems, he seems like the guy who's going to evolve. He seems like that kind of guy. Yeah. Hey, he better if he wants another job after he gets fired from the Knicks. I don't know. Well, hopefully. We'll see. Uh, typically, guys who guys who get fired by the Knicks typically do okay. They end up on TV after. They make a lot of money. A lot of money. Their, their pockets are James full. James Dolan's paying a lot of people to not work for him right now. Very true. That's, he's made it. He does that very, uh, very often. He does that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think. Um. I think that's that's probably it for me. Um. To be honest, Chris, how about you? Is there anything Bulls related that that you feel like we didn't touch on that you wanted to kind of bring up? That's uh anything kind of any pertinent topics. Um. I 
think we've touched on basically everything in terms of, you know, the roster and where they need to go. I don't want to go. I haven't done as much research into the draft as much as I would like to. So I obviously want to do a little more of that before I want to touch it. And also I would like to know where they're picking because I mean, they're, they have the seventh best odds, but they could end up 10th or 4th or whatever the case may be. Right. And, and it's not particularly a super strong draft. Either. No, like, it's not. Like it's, it's, it's like Wiseman. It's, uh, Lamelo Ball, who I think has inherited his brother's, I read one report and said he also has a, a broken shot. It's like, oh, okay, so the lanky Ball brother who can pass and can't shoot that that'll work out just well. Um, Anthony Edwards yeah, is up there too. Uh, Anthony Edwards is a stud. Yeah, dude, he and then is. The kid, Ki- Killian KOC Hayes from the Ringer wrote a. Yeah, Killian Hayes. KOC has him as the number one prospect. I saw that. I saw so, that. Yeah. He's supposed to be amazing. We'll could see. be. I don't could know. be interesting. I haven't, done, I haven't done that much research either. I'm just starting to it's now. Um, so I, I, I got a, a whole bunch of prospect kind of researching to do as well. Yeah, same, same. Um, but Chris, listen, uh, tell the good people, um, anyone that's listening where they can find your writing, uh, any content that you're putting out, anything that you're working on, um, let everybody know where they can find your stuff. Uh, well, in terms of, uh, as it pertains to the bulls, you can find me over at hoops habit. Um, the, well, obviously I wrote a Kobe white piece. Um, I'm working on a piece where I go through the, I guess the last 10 Bulls first round draft picks, so yeah, it'll be fun seeing you know all of the mix of good and bad of the Bulls have picked over the last decade or so. So that's the the most that's the thing that I'm working on right now. Um, but again, you can find me over at Hoops Habit. I'll be primarily writing about the Bulls in some way, shape, or form. Awesome, man, dude. Well, I- listen, uh, very very happy to have that Bulls conversation with you. Um, very appreciative of your time. Um, it was definitely cool to talk bulls in the last dance and, uh, we hope you'll come on again if we can do that or talk about something else. And, um, that would be, that would be cool to do for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. The pleasure was all mine. Awesome, man. Good stuff. Well, for everybody listening, uh, we will be back, I think later this week with, uh, Chip and I's 2013 redraft and next, next week. If my uh, if my alphabet knowledge is right, uh, Chip, this would be Cavs. the Cavs, right? Cavs. Yeah. So we we gotta find a Cavs rider to talk to, um, and then and then it'll be Celtics after, right? That shouldn't be hard. No, that shouldn't be hard. We'll figure that out. Uh, but for everybody listening, thank you. We hope everybody stays safe and well, and we'll talk to you soon.